Uh, let me pray for us as we begin. Our Father, we thank you for uh, your word and uh, a chance today to be reading through it. Uh, thank you for uh, technolo- technology as well, that uh, it allows us to uh, continue having fellowship in such uh, different times right now. Uh, we pray and ask that, um, yeah, even without physical uh, close by uh, fellowship, we may continue to encourage one another through your word uh, and that uh, we keep living as your people, um, just as uh, how your son um, commanded us to. Uh, we pray and ask that, um, yeah, your words may be piercing to us today. Pray especially for myself that uh, I may speak clearly uh, and that, uh, yeah, what uh, your word has to say comes through. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, he died around 11 years before I was born, but Elvis is still one of the most significant cultural icons in our day and age. Uh, often referred to as the king of rock and roll, or simply the king. Elvis's impact on society can't really be understated, and he developed a huge following. Now, not all of us were alive when Elvis was around, but we still know how significant he is at the very least. He had an incredible following and fan base. And that's why, after his death, people were devastated. The king is dead. I had to ask my mom how people reacted when he died, and she simply just said, people cried a lot. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Probably because they knew, in a sense, that it would never be the same again. Or they thought everything was over. See, when people die, we know that things will be different. And there's not much we can do afterward. We won't see that person again, and very often we just remember the person, and that's our way of honoring them. But I want to ask you this of Jesus. What will you do with the crucified Christ? In today's passage, we'll see the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. It's another case of the king is dead. But I want to ask you, so what will you do? Uh, In today's passage, you probably noticed that a lot of people were just completely against Jesus. Uh, They have little regard for who he is. They mock and flog him because they think he's a criminal or he's a fraud. At most, he's a regular guy to the crowd. Certainly not anyone special. And they'd probably try to build a case against Jesus as well. Because up until now, he's called himself the Son of God, the King of the Jews. Uh, And in their eyes, he hasn't really lived up to his claims. They're sarcastically saying, this man, the King of the Jews, let's show him how we treat a king. By twisting together a crown of thorns and placing it on his head. By giving him a purple robe. By saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The soldiers, they're just going with the crowd. Uh, But let's cut back to Pilate. And uh, ever since chapter 18, we still see, even now in our chapter today, he's just being an official, he's just being a governor of sorts. And it's here where we start to see a contrast of opinions in Jesus, in, in, in opinions of Jesus, sorry. Because Pilate's opinion hasn't really changed from the previous chapter that Pastor Peter went through. 
we can see Pilate's opinion clear as day. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. See, to Pilate, Jesus isn't such a serious threat. Pilate has decided what he thinks of Jesus. And yet there's another contrasting opinion with the Jewish leaders and crowds. See, for them, Jesus has committed a heinous crime, claiming to be God's son, and by doing that, claiming to bear the authority of God himself. Next slide, please. Now, looking back to John chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they end up yelling, Crucify! Crucify! And this leaves Pilate stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's thinking, wrongly crucify this man that I think is innocent or appease the crowd and the Jewish leaders? Do I punish him for blasphemy of the highest order? And so we end up in verse 8 to 9 where Pilate asks Jesus, where are you from? Not, he doesn't ask, who are you? Not, where or what have you come to do? Or not even, why are you doing this? But he asks, where are you from? See, back in their day, a person's origin was really important in determining their overall importance. A person's origin mattered. But Jesus says nothing. He knows that there's no point in explaining anything to Pilate. And so Pilate asks why Jesus says nothing. Because Pilate has the power to decide whether this king lives or dies. But to this, in verse 11, Jesus says two things which could be taken in different ways. So firstly, you have no power over me, or you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus says this, and says that, uh, Jesus knows this and says that Pilate only has power because it's given to him by someone from above. Now, Jesus could either be talking about the Roman Emperor Caesar or about God himself. But regardless, Jesus actually knows true power as the Son of God. The second part, Jesus says, The one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, no one here knows whether uh, Jesus means Judas or Caiaphas, the high priest. But either way, one thing is clear. Neither of them treated Jesus as king. Both of them made their choice about Jesus. It's here that Pilate continues to sit on the fence as a Roman official and even tries to set Jesus free, as verse 12 shows us. But the people knew they had one more weapon against him. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. The crowd have said, there's only one king. And it's almost as if Pilate has said, Are you sure? Do you really want me to crucify your king? 
But the people confirm their answer. Now, living as Christians, uh, it's often easy to forget that not everyone saw Jesus in a positive way. Jesus was and is still divisive as a person. Now, to illustrate what I mean, think of the police. Uh, Generally, for most law-abiding citizens, the police are a force for good. And so the idea of of the police and Jesus, they don't come off as being particularly controversial. But not everyone agrees with that. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, one of my uncle's staff uh, at his restaurant thought that the police were just troublemakers. Now, where this illustration is limited is that police are just regular people and have struggles with sin, just like you and me. Police make bad decisions. uh, They do things with the wrong motive because of sin. They're not sinless like Jesus. But the reason that the police are divisive is because they represent something that people might dislike. Outside of a really serious abuse of power, the police can be seen as a restriction on someone's desire to do what they want. Sometimes people feel like the police just want to restrict them from doing what they want. But when it comes to Jesus people will likely disagree that he's king. And so what they do with the crucified Christ is that they reject him. He's too controversial for for them. He's too divisive. And they don't want anything to do with Jesus as king. They reject him just like all the people in this section of chapter 19. And it's almost a spectrum of views regarding Jesus. We kind of go from one end where Pilate is clearly just indifferent to the other end where the antagonistic Jews are. Now, bear with me because I'm going to go through the different groups or actors within this section and point out how they're remarkably similar to people in our society in this day and age. Now, firstly, Pilate. And Pilate clearly doesn't see Jesus as a bad guy. Certainly not a terrorist, deserving of crucifixion. And in fact, he even keeps trying to release Jesus, if anything. But Pilate's also a person who gives in to majority opinion. Because Pilate had a clear fear of people. When the Jews said that Pilate wouldn't be a friend of Jesus, of Caesar, if Jesus was released, he caved into their words. But here's the thing. Many people are just like Pilate. They don't see Jesus as a bad guy. But when there's talk about Jesus as the king, particularly their king, the situation changes. They won't bow to him, and instead they bow to majority opinion. Uh, Next we have the soldiers. who They're kind of like those who follow majority opinion, and haven't actually formulated their own opinions about Jesus. Now, for the soldiers, Jesus is just some guy that they get to uh, punish, mock, and flog. He isn't a direct threat to them. And then there are the religious leaders. They want Jesus out of the picture because, according to them, he's committed blasphemy by calling himself Son of God. 
we can think of these guys as the militant atheists. Uh, they're people who think, I don't need Jesus. And when we think of all these different types of people, we have uh, the pilots, people who fear others. We have the soldiers, those who haven't formulated their own opinion. And we have the Jews, the leaders, including the crowds, those who think they don't need Jesus. We kind of end up in a spot where we realize that Jesus is still king even over these types of people. Everyone thought that Jesus' fate was in their hands. But the irony is that it's the other way around. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want to encourage you about is two things. First, be very, very prepared for the possibility that people are going to disagree with you when it comes to Jesus. They might mock you. They might call you names. And they might, unfortunately, even become hostile toward you. So please be very prepared for that. Second is that we're to know that even these people need Jesus. And how you end up using that information might mean you evangelize to someone that's indifferent. Or you might even show Christ's love to a militant atheist. What will you do with the crucified Christ when it comes to these people? Will you speak to them about Jesus? Or will you do something drastically different, which is something we're going to look at in the next section? Now, in this next part, we're told that Jesus is to be crucified. Here, Jesus is crucified between two others, um, and beside Jesus, Pilate sarcastically puts an inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he puts it in three different languages. So, so he, he does that so that all the people could see Jesus, the defeated king. And interestingly enough, the Jews still aren't happy with this. They don't want people to, to think that Jesus was some legitimate king. They want people to think that he was a fake, that made an outrageous claim of being the Jewish king. And again, Soldiers are here too, although this time they sort of treat Jesus more of a, as more of a plaything. They're gambling to get different articles of clothing as trophies of some kind. But we're told that some of Jesus' closest confidants are there in verses 25 to 27. Jesus' mother, his aunt, and two other women named Mary, they're all present. And there's also a beloved disciple mentioned, who is probably John, the writer of this gospel. And these people, they form the next group who have the different opinion about Jesus. They have the different response towards the crucified Christ. Now, it's interesting that their attitude toward Jesus isn't mentioned, the second group, that is. But we can tell that they're here to be with Jesus in his last moments. And that creates a really interesting contrast, both with the previously mentioned groups of people, uh, Pilate, the soldiers, and the Jews, but also with the other disciples. Where are the rest of the disciples? Where's Peter? Where's Andrew? Where's Bartholomew? Matthew? Where are any of the disciples? None of Jesus' other disciples are here. None are here to be with Jesus in his last moments. Now let me touch on this again soon. 
And at this point, it would have seemed hopeless for the people closest to Jesus. It would have seemed like all was lost. The Messiah was dead. Keep in mind, what they thought was the Messiah was a militaristic figure that would lead Israel into an era of prosperity by defeating the Romans. That's what they thought Jesus came to do as the Messiah. And so you can kind of understand why they're probably afraid. You can probably understand why Peter is nowhere to be seen. For them, this was it. Their picture of victory that they thought they were going to have over Rome was completely gone. It was gone with their hero and leader. And so in some ways, you almost feel like you can't blame them. Now up until this point, I've been asking you, what will you do with the crucified Christ? But it's here in this middle section of chapter 19 where we get that having a good answer is going to be really important. Because this middle section is all about Jesus' compassion. Now I know it seems odd to suggest that it's about that, considering all he's doing is being hung up there and being mocked. Now, remember why Jesus had to go to the cross in the first place. He would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John uh, chapter 1, verse 29 says. But there's an, another element to this compassion that's present within this section, a bit that I didn't really touch on earlier as I was explaining this passage. And that's the section about Jesus' mother, uh, Mary, and the beloved disciple, most likely John. Uh, it doesn't seem like much of an exchange here because all it kind of looks like is that Jesus says, uh, Mother, here's your son, John. And to John, here is your mother. But it goes much deeper than that. To explain this and how it impacts us, we need to understand two things. So firstly, crucifixion and who it res was reserved for. Now this form of execution was only given to the absolute worst of the worst criminals. Remember how in chapter 18, Pilate was trying to figure out whether Jesus was actually innocent or if he was a terrorist. He was trying to determine whether Jesus was an insurrectionist that would lead a big uprising or revolution. And that's because Pilate knew that crucifixion wasn't just for any average criminal. Crucifixion brought great social shame upon a person's name and their family's name. That's what Jesus and Mary would have had to have gone through. The second thing to keep in mind is that with Jesus, the eldest son is now dead. And so Mary would likely have no one to care for and provide for her. Uh, at this point, Joseph, her husband, had probably died. So there's no one left to support the family there. Now, basically, what Jesus is saying is, here's your new son to provide for you. So these two things, the shame that the cross brought upon Mary and the family name and a lack of son to look after the mother, is what's in focus here. And so Jesus is taking care of the shame that's being brought upon Mary after Jesus' death on the, on the cross. And that's where we need to think carefully about Jesus going to the cross. 
Because much like for Mary, this is an aspect of Jesus' mission and character. Just like how Jesus took on the shame brought on, the Mary, on Mary and had her go to John's family, Jesus takes on our sin and shame by bringing us into God's family. If Jesus died there and couldn't take away our sin and shame, we would be doomed. Without Jesus, we would literally have no hope in this world. And as the crucified Christ, Jesus knew he was going to suffer. This is why I said earlier that knowing how you're going to respond to the crucified Christ is critical. Because the crucified Christ went to the cross and took away your shame, took away my shame. Now, having cared for his mother, we're in the final section of today's passage. With Jesus being hung up on the cross, we can see the difficulty and suffering that he's going through. Uh, he mentions his thirst and is then given wine vinegar by, by the soldiers. And then we see sh that shortly after this, the king dies. And it just so happens that the day he dies on is the day of preparation meaning that it's the day before the Sabbath of the Passover week. Now, Jews had a law where they didn't want bodies hanging on trees because of this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 21, so verses 22 to 23. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day. Because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the Jews didn't want the bodies of the dead defiling the land. And to prevent this, to, uh, I guess, speed up everything, you could break the legs of the people hanging on the cross, which is why we see that line there in uh, 19 verse 31. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Breaking the legs would prevent the people on the cross from being able to use their own legs to support their weight, and they would suffocate much quicker. Breaking the legs would basically speed up the process of death on a cross. But when they got to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, so they didn't bother breaking his legs. They instead pierced his side to confirm this. And out came blood and water. Now supposedly when someone dies, their blood separates out uh, with the red and clear plasma-like fluid coming out. So this bit here in John 19 confirms it. The king has indeed died. And with Jesus' death, we see two more folks that we need to consider because they come and honor their king. They give us the final example of what we can do with the crucified Christ. A completely new person in John's Gospel, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, asks for Jesus' body to properly prepare it for burial. And he's also joined by Nicodemus, the Pharisee from earlier on in John. He's here too, but this time with expensive herbs and a lot of expensive herbs. 
Supposedly five pounds or about two kilos in their day was a normal amount used to bury someone. He's got 75 pounds in this, in this chapter. So it's from these two guys that we see our final reaction toward the crucified Christ. They have come to honor Jesus even in death. It's a big thing to honor someone in death. Sometimes it's referred to as carrying on their legacy. The person who has passed away has given a vision to some people, and those people are to keep the vision alive. They faithfully carry on this person's vision even though they're gone. Uh, Earlier I spoke about Elvis and how when he died, people mourned and realized that that was it for the King of Rock. Now perhaps a well-known person that certainly died Uh, even earlier than Elvis, is a creator of Disney, Walt Disney himself. Now Disney, he never really mentioned what he believed to be the core values for his film. Uh, But a journalism professor commented that the most clear values in Disney's films are the values that are considered valuable in American society, which include individualism, decency, love for our fellow man, fair play, and toleration. And just watching a few of the Disney films, it's easy enough to see that the main characters are still being created this way. They have carried on this legacy, and the creators of Disney's films these days have been faithful to Disney's vision, even though he's been dead for over 50 years. And so this provides for us a way to look at the crucified Christ. Jesus clearly wanted his followers to live out certain things. Jesus said to his people to love one another, to keep his commandments, to lay down our lives for our friends. It's clear that Jesus wants us to live out his teachings, and we are to honor him. And thankfully, we're given this example by Joseph and Nicodemus in this chapter. These two want to honor Jesus. And they're doing it publicly. But let's also consider the other disciples. Perhaps you could think of the ones I mentioned before. Philip, Bartholomew, Andrew, Peter. How do you think they're going right now with honoring Jesus? Personally, I'd be hard-pressed to say that they're going well at it. And so based on these two very different examples, we can see how important action is when we're honoring someone, particularly the Lord Jesus, particularly the King. Often as Christians, we talk about our faith and what we believe. But let's talk about faithfulness. It's clear from this section that our faithfulness is just as, if not more important. Because Jesus not only took Barabbas' place on the cross, but also the place of all those he came to save. So let's take that seriously and honor the king. And what this might look for you is start taking action when it comes to being serious about honoring Jesus. Be more than just words. Maybe you've said you'd read the Bible with someone you know. Get that organized because 
You'd be honoring Jesus by pointing someone you know to Jesus himself. Or perhaps you've been late to church a lot. Honoring Jesus might just be a matter of turning up, or even early more often. And perhaps in doing so, encouraging other brothers and sisters to be there early too. Friends, brothers and sisters, uh, when I opened up today I asked, what will you do with the crucified Christ? Jesus knew that he came into this world to die, to be the crucified Christ. He came into this world knowing this mission of his, and he did so to take on the punishment of sin onto himself. Jesus was sentenced wrongfully. He was crucified wrongfully. And he died wrongfully. But he went willingly. Without Jesus' death, the world and our fates would be very, very different. And so again, I ask the question to you, what will you do with the crucified Christ? There are several different responses to the idea of Jesus as king. Antagonistic, like Pilate's, the Roman soldiers, and the Jews. Or faithful and honoring, like Joseph and Nicodemus's. So in response to that, let's be faithful. My prayer and hope is that you will honor him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that he went willingly, being treated in his uh, being treated horribly in his last moments upon the cross. We pray and ask that we can strongly consider what Jesus has done for us and that we can encourage others to do the same in considering that too. Please help us honor the King and to be faithful to his mission. Pray and ask this in your son's name. Amen.